This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, good beautiful afternoon to uh, all of you. This is Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk today and tomorrow again till the uh, um, much anticipated return of Linda Swain next week. Uh, in the meantime, you got me today and tomorrow, and no shortage, of course, of uh, news stories on our website and on our uh, on VOCM today. Not the least of which, just throw a few out there. Um, of course, there is a new uh, oil to electric incentive program that was rolled out this morning by the province and um, federal MP that was up at the Fluvarium here in the big city in Pippi Park. Always love covering events up at the Fluvarium. Never mind a, uh, a Fluvarium news conference on days like this. Beautiful summer day in the city and metro region and across the province. Um, as well, of course, uh, NL Newfoundland Labrador Hydro held their AGM at the Alt Hotel in downtown St. John's this morning. I attended uh, that and I'll bring some of um, the audio and some of the details uh, from that today. Of course, um, one of the highlights from that announcement today was the fact that uh, we now have a final cost, $13.5 billion. That's the final cost, they're saying, for the Muskrat Falls project. Um, they're comfortable in putting, putting that number, the final number, out there today. Of course, the original cost was $6.2 billion. That was the original estimate back in 2012, uh, how that changed. And so there was a smorgasbord of uh, issues and topics that came up at the AGM, and I'll have um, some of that was covered in a a scrum with media with uh, CEO Jennifer Williams this morning, which I was a part of. And again, I'll bring you that in the uh, second half of this half hour. And of course, there's an RCMP news conference. Uh, they held one out in Harbor Grace today because that was the site of their la latest um, big haul of, uh, of illegal weapons, many of them 3D printed. If you ever see the day, it will come to that. Um, so a number of long guns, handguns, restricted guns, one loaded an unsecured weapon that was found in a home during a bust on Lamarchin Road there in Harbor Grace yesterday. And, or recently, I should say earlier this week, that the bust occurred, and today was the news conference. So other guns were told in various stages of actually being printed when, uh, when this house was raided, including brass knuckles, um, and even, I'm told, a security uniform uh, with body armor. Um, you know, a, a vest, um, body armor vest, that was also seized in the home. And, of course, whenever I hear anything like that, I th it harkens back to, um, I sadly had to say it, but the shooting, the mass shooting in Nova Scotia where, you know, fake U RCMP uniform, let alone fake vehicle, RCMP cruiser was used. But anyway, um, who needs a, a fake security uniform with body armor vest, I wonder. But in any event, there were two people arrested in that bust, and I'm going to have uh, Richard Duggan, who was at that news conference, will join me Um in, uh, in the next half hour, he was out in Harbor Grace for that news conference today, and um, we'll, uh, we'll set up some of the audio and a scrum and some information that came from the RCMP today regarding that bust. And, of course, that harkens back to last year's bust here in the city, um, I should say on the Northeast Avalon, down around the Torbay Pooch Cove area where uh, more than 141 charges were laid after hundreds of illegal weapons were seized there, including 3D printers. So we're seeing more and more of these ghost guns and guns just being made and manufactured uh, as opposed to having to smuggle the whole thing in. Um, so it's, uh, it's pretty scary stuff. They're starting to make guns with printers. Um, where does that end? 
And of course, uh, one other, th uh, you know, sad note in the news today. We learned earlier this morning that um, Newfoundland and Labrador lost a pillar of the province's judicial and political landscape. Of course, former energy minister, former Tory MHA, former lawyer, uh, of course, a justice of the appeal court, Bill Marshall, uh, has passed away at the age of 87. Of course, Mr. Marshall from St. John's, and uh, sort of certainly the condolences to his former colleagues and. Uh, MHAs and of course uh, members of the legal community. Um, again, uh, Mr. Marshall served in the legislature from I think it was 70, 1970, in the opposition, of course, uh, to former Premier Smallwood until the Tories took hold. Frank Moore's in the 70s, and then uh, Premier Peckford in the 80s. Mr. Marshall served in both uh, administrations, and of course later as a critic for the energy portfolio. But of course he was also instrumental in the drafting of the Atlantic Accord. Uh, regarding our offshore resources, of course, um, appointed to the Court of Appeal in '86 upon his retirement um, from the politics, served on the bench until uh, 2003. Um, so many other accomplishments, of course, over his legal career and through politics. Uh, the late Bill Marshall being remembered today by colleagues um, and uh, certainly former politicians too. I noticed there was a. News release, of course, from uh, Tony Wakeham. Of course, he's currently in the running for the leadership, but also the current leader of the Tory party, um, David Brazel, talking about being in the room there with Mr. Marshall and the other big players when the original Atlantic Accord was signed. So um, I think with a quote from David Brazel, no other agreement has been more important to the province, of course, since Confederation with Canada. Um, other news in, sto in today, of course, but we'll get back right at it uh, right after the break. Um, those are the headlines. If you'd like to weigh in, of course, we always take calls here on News Talk. If something um, gets your goat or uh, you hear something in the news that you just want to throw out a comment on, doesn't have to be long, can be brief, just give us a shout. It's the open line numbers, 709-273-5211, 1-866-VOCM, um, uh, open line. And you can call us here anytime within the next hour and give us a shout on any of those subjects that I just threw out. And uh, in a moment, uh, we'll take you back to the Alt Hotel this morning, where I was for the uh, Newfoundland Labrador Hydro's um, annual general meeting, where they had some good, um, some positive, certainly a positive vibe in the room this morning. Now that the, as they say, the uh, Muskrat Falls has been formally commissioned, and they're putting that behind them and onward and upward. So we'll um, hear from CEO Jennifer Williams right after the break. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain, and this is News Talk. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. Brian Callahan back with you on this uh, beautiful Thursday afternoon. And uh, as mentioned just before the break, uh, Newfoundland Abitur Hydro uh, held its annual general meeting at the Alt Hotel, or board of directors on hand, and uh, some other interested parties who've, uh, you know, been watching Hydro and, of course, uh, our um, the soap opera that is our electrical grid sometimes, uh, especially during the Muskrat Falls era. But, the, but Hydro's putting that behind them. This morning they said they have a final price tag on Muskrat Falls, uh, putting it in at just under $13.5 billion. That's um, just a, about $100 million more. Uh, you know, the formal commissioning was due to occur back in November of 2022. That was delayed until April. So there were some extra carrying costs 
um, that they um, had to tack on to the final bill, uh, but they ate that internally, they said. Um, that uh, was not with any extra money from the province, but in any event, uh, just under 13.5 for a project that was pegged back in 2012 to come in at about 6.2. Now we know cost overruns aren't unique to mega projects, of course, uh, but certainly more than double. I think if they'd said that around the time that you can expect that there might've been uh, maybe some extra pause for thought. But in any event, um, there were a lot of, uh, lot of information <laughs> that came out this morning, certainly through the financial disclosure um, of uh, forward thinking and all that sort of thing, and where hydro goes from here and their assets across the province. Um, so a lot of that was covered in a scrum with CEO Jennifer Williams after the formal um, parts of the uh, AGM this morning. And uh, myself and some other reporters threw some questions at Miss Williams, and she was um, always, as always, generous with her time to answer those questions. Well, there was, I think, a portion of it would have been the effects of bringing things into service. So, for example, um, $111 million of, of the profit would have been associated with our ability to take this energy that we're now generating and now transmitting um, and create that and, and sell that excess energy, energy we don't currently need in the province, and sell it to markets. So that would be a portion of the profit. Um, another portion of the profit would be to do with the existing oil and gas interests that we, we own on behalf of the province. Um, so, you know, turning the um, assets into commissioning, um, that provides for opportunities. It's not all of the profit. It would be a portion of the profit. Do we still owe Amira anything for the delays that uh, in uh, getting it across the Maritime Link? We are in um, del uh, over-delivering energy these days to Amira, so we are meeting our current commitments to them, and we are catching up on some of the deliveries that we had under-delivered, um, you know, in the first, say, year that it, the Maritime Link went into service. Uh, so, yes, so we are catching up um, with that now. So we're currently delivering our commitments and also over-delivering to catch up on some of the, the deficit that we had created. A sense of when rate mitigation will, will be finalized, when we'll be across the finish line there? Um, I think we're, we're actually quite close, um, and uh, we're planning on and working toward a plan to have a general rate application in 2024, and we really need about nine months, maybe as much as a year, once we finish rate mitigation details um, with government to include it into an application for the Public Utilities Board. So um, I think we'll know there'll be a lot of information on the record next year when we go in with the GRA. Um, what, what we'll determine um, from a details perspective and what can be communicated prior to that, I think we'll still be another few months. And we're looking at, um, I guess, the second quarter of 2024 now before that comes in, the, the general rate application? I, I think it's really going to depend on, again, the, the, two, the two pieces of time. So if we it's, it's nine to 12 months once you finalize your details and then you have you incorporate those details into an application. So depending on when we finalize those details, so if, if, it hap if we knew all the details today, yes, yeah, second quarter makes sense. If it takes us another few months, it could be as much as the third quarter of next year. So, so it's going to be a while before these, these rates hit, hit the bills. Correct, absolutely. And, and you, you, you have heard, and Hydro and government have been working together to deliver what's been committed is that you know we are going to mitigate rates so they do not double right so that has been the absolute clear commitment uh, our teams work very closely together um, we're meeting in many instances weekly even myself participating in calls so that we are working very clearly with that that eventual um, expectation it's been your brain 
rates. So we found out yesterday that rates are going to go up on July 1st. Probably a lot of people wondering why. Can you explain that? Sure. Uh, so the rate change that is in effect as of July 1st is really um, uh, components of historical costs that are not related to the project that um, have to be going to rate changes for July 1st. Last year, folks remember, there was no change in rates um, at that time, So, but there was still some costs that that come into the operating of a system. And what we have had historically is basically a once a year um, change that allows for as costs ebb and flow through the course of a year, instead of having ups and downs in rates, we do it once a year. So what we're having here now is really a catch up on costs that we've been incurring, but not actually collecting in rates. So that's what's happening um, on July 1st. Mm -hmm. It's about a 6.7% uh, rate change on July 1st for residential interconnected customers. Can I just go back um, to the, the full cost of the Lower Churchill Project, 13.5? Mm -hmm. I mean, the software and all this, the, the, I guess, the, the punch list items, as you call them, with, with the LIL, those have been paid for? There's no more surprise, uh, you know, expenses around the corner? Yeah, so the 13.5 is the final cost of the project. Uh, you will recall that there is a final, I'll call it cleanup software um, to come with the punchlets items included. It is also, um, it will not have any material reliability. I mean, we've got all that behind us now. It is, is truly punchlist items. So that, um, the, the, the creation of that software and, and the installation of all that software is already included in the cost that we've, we've talked about. So there's no surprises coming there. Will the LIL be able to produce maximum, what you always envisioned, right. the, eight, the full 840 or uh, 900. 900, yeah. What's the maximum you've been able to push across? And I know this is the, the warm season now, right. so it's hard to it's test it. It's not a good day today. Right, it's not a good day today. So, but where are you with it, and how are you with GE, and is everything settled up there? Will there be any repercussions, legal or otherwise? Mm -hmm. So, um, the Labrador Island Link has been performing very well. Um, we have had some major system disturbances that, you know, in a previous life, you know, previous earlier versions of software, the LIL wouldn't have been so happy uh, from the software that was going on. We had, uh, you know, major issues going on. We're all interconnected now, you know, right in through to Quebec. We've had, uh, you know, these, these fires in Quebec that caused the lines to trip. The LIL rides through quite well. So we're very pleased um, we, with how the LIL has been operating. And, and you'll recall that, you know, you would have heard me say many times, we are going to make sure that this is as reliable as this jurisdiction needs. And that is currently what we have. So, you know, we were adamant that that be what we get, and that's what we have. Um, so I'm, I'm quite pleased with how the LIL is operating. And uh, as it, you can see there, we're, we're delivering and, you know, over-delivering to Nova Scotia. We're getting energy to market. We're, you know, making money from that to benefit the people here. So uh, we're quite pleased right now. Not to get too far in the weeds, but the vibrations and the synchronous condensers at Soldier Spawn? Right. So as you know, we do an update every month to the Public Utilities Board on how that's progressing. Um, there are um, solutions that are in place that those are also functioning very well. Um, it, we had the, um, uh, I think, again, these other major system disturbances. The synchronous condensers are riding through very well through those system disturbances. When you have these major projects and major aspects, you have an envision for the design of how they're going to work. You know, I don't know any engineer or, or team that has executed exactly what's on paper. Things are always going to evolve a little bit or a lot through the course of a major project. Then you have to say, okay, if this is major, am I satisfied with the actual operating results that we get? So the solution that's in place at Soldier's Pond is currently working well. Can you give an update on the eighth generating unit at Beta Spear and your plans for that? Sure. So we are considering quite seriously um, a eighth generating unit for um, Beta Spare. There's seven there now. It was 
always envisioned that an eighth one could go there, um, not to get too technical, but it provides capacity, no energy, but Muskrat Falls has excess energy. So it's a great marriage for what we already have. And uh, for the electrification that's coming with um, oil to electric home heat conversions, electric vehicles, various other uh, decarbonization efforts that our society is demanding and requiring and I think is important, um, it will be a great solution for that. Um, and customers also um, need not necessarily be concerned that there will be a massive increase associated with the cost of that. Because of the excess energy that we do have, um, we will you know, have customers use more energy and that will likely offset a material portion of the cost that is associated with that project. So we expect that um, sometime next year we would go forward with an application for that unit. Um, you know, subject to change if something else happens to come up, but that is currently what we believe we're working toward. We want to make sure we have a lot of evidence on the record, even in advance. So, you know, we've been um, working with the Public Utilities Board and Interveners to hear what do they feel is missing from the regulatory record perspective. We've got about another dozen studies that we're going to um, have, you know, created and concluded and put on the record. So there'll be a very fulsome package of evidence to support our recommendation next year. I think forecast over the next year is that we're going to see a lot more electric vehicles here. Mm -hmm. Are you satisfied that we're going to be able to meet that demand I think it's going to be a challenge, and that's why I, I talk about I am nervous about our readiness and um, and the hesitancy that I would see some folks sort of not believing this is really happening. This is really happening. The other hesitancy I see some folks talk about, we shouldn't do this while Hollywood is still online. This is why it's important for me to be talking about what is the percentage of net zero sources that we're currently having. We are more than 90% now, I think it's 91.5. Um, we're forecasting to be more than 95 in just a few years' time. We need to be moving ahead now. This is happening. If you look at any media coverage of the actual car companies themselves, they're not turning back. They're racing into this. You're not going to be able to buy these kinds of vehicles. It is going to be a challenge. Um, there are other solutions that we will be implementing um, in conjunction with Newfoundland Power is, say, demand management, those kinds of things. So, you know, what can we do to shift the peak so that it's not so bad? Because electric vehicles are a great solution um, for, uh, you know, using the excess energy we have here in the province. That is CEO, uh, President and CEO of Newfoundland Labrador Hydro, Jennifer Williams, who has really guided the ship lately uh, through the last couple of years now and, and the, you know, the change from Nalcor to Newfoundland Labrador, melding Nalcor back into Newfoundland Labrador Hydro. And now um, I have to say I've been at a lot of news conferences for Newfoundland Labrador Hydro in the last, and Nalcor in the last few years. That had to be the most um, optimistic and buoyant one that I've been at. Of course, uh, the atmosphere was good. People were just, even the critics had questions as opposed to uh, critical analysis. So, um uh, the questions were all upward and forward thinking and uh, and positive uh, as far as assets and the state of the lil and the state. I mean, of course, we're still on Holyrood, but that's another issue that they're continue to work on to um, to have to back up there until all is uh, hunky dory and we move into the electric age. Um, I'm Brian Callahan here on News Talk today for Linda Swain and uh, coming up after the break, we'll get uh, Richard Duggan will join me halfway through the next half hour to uh, give me a set of picture of uh, the news conference in Harbor Grace today regarding another cash, big haul of illegal weapons seized by the RCMP. Uh, time for the news. I'm Brian Callahan on News Talk. We'll be right back. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM.
Brian Callahan back with you on News Talk uh, for the second half hour. And I think Noah Shepard clouded it. Did Noah just say 28 degrees outdoors? She, I'm pretty sure just 20. It ain't 28 in this studio, I can tell you. 28 Fahrenheit, maybe. Yeah, no, that, that's about <laughs> right. But <laughs> you're freezing, are you? This is hard to do. You but know, it's that warm outside, so you wear a T-shirt. you got to take a sweater with you because it's, as I, I'm not complaining about the air conditioning. Right. But it's working oh, well I do. in this studio. <laughs> You know, I while I got you. Oh no, I know <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> you I don't know how you know where I'm going. I just I thought you know there's you know this is news talk and we should talk about things that are in the news and people mm-hmm. who are in the news and be remiss really to not mention the passing of Sue Johansson. Yeah, you know when I heard that she had passed away, my goodness, I mean uh, she's been around so long and it just brought me back to my high school days. I'm pretty sure she visited a lot of schools across the country I know for she, sex education. She was. She was in our high school. Of course she had the radio show here and then. Sex and with Sue is yeah. what I thought it was called. That's what I was trying to and remember. And then it was the Sunday night sex show. The I Sunday think. nights. Oh, right. I think it started with sex with you. But in any event uh, she was pretty groundbreaking breaking and she uh, was with you know to be that open and blunt with all of the issues blunt was perfect word for her you're right yeah. and and in a good way i mean it was educational mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of people who tuned in because where else were they getting the information and they could anonymously ask about it even and, if it was on the radio and she was a good hearted too funny yeah. as well and knew her stuff got a little racy at times but all with the subject matter important subject matter there were some serious calls too you know about people serious questions about sexual health so um it's sad very 93 sad 93 years young 93. i thought she was older when she was doing these talks too you know so. it just always amazes me too 93 uh-huh. i was like okay i never would have guessed 93 but any you know you don't have any stories or any uh, no stories i just remember her being on a gym <laughs> stage with props and it just blew my mind props do tell fruit that's all i'm saying <laughs> vegetable fruits vegetables yeah, no, you know, I know where you're going with that. As much as I'm going. All right, well, let's move away. Can I make a segue to oil? Sure. Yeah, I guess I could, couldn't I? <laughs> um, the provincial government and federal government today rolled out a new oil to electric, that kind of oil, uh, incentive program was rolled out this morning at the Flavarium at Pippi Park here in St. John's, and what a lovely day it was for that. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Flavarium, but if you haven't, you should get up there. It's uh, educational, and, you know, you get to go downstairs and see the river doing its thing uh, through windows and, um, and the, uh, the various uh, mammals and animals that are in the water. Um, but in any event, this is a commitment to lower greenhouse gas emissions, of course. And, you know, we all know what's coming on July 1st. I don't know how many. I can't keep track of all the tax increases that are coming on July 1st. But uh, this particular announcement this morning is a partnership with the province, Natural Resources Canada, and Climate Change Canada. And it's about 100, almost $160 million, and that'll go toward... Uh, a new fuel switching and energy efficient assistant uh, incentive program. So over the next four years, you'll be able, anyone who wants to switch out their heating system, go from oil to electric. Uh, this money will help subsidize the cost of everything from uh, mini splits to multi splits, central heat pumps, electric furnaces, electric boilers, you name it. Um, there are rebates and they go retroactive to April the 1st. Uh, up to seventeen thousand dollars is available there for low to what they say low to moderate income households. Now we know there are issues here, you know, with being able to afford these systems even up front, um, and that's acknowledged by both governments still, and they say they're working on that. Um, and this is all, of course, being delivered through the Take Charge program. You may have seen on your electric bill, you know, through Hydro and Newfoundland Power. 
Now, reporters, including our own Richard Duggan, were there this morning to um, to throw some questions at both uh, MP Joanne Thompson, St. John's MP Joanne Thompson, and, of course, Provincial Minister um, for Environment and Climate Change, uh, Bernie Davis. They were both here to answer questions, and it began with one from our own um, Richard Duggan. One of the things that the province mentioned yesterday, though, was that this, uh, these new regulations are going to drive up the cost of goods and services coming into the province and will thus increase the cost of pretty much everything from the, the prices at the grocery store and whatnot. So how, how do you respond to those concerns? Well, I mean, we're hearing, um, you know, a lot of numbers going around, a lot of conversations. Bottom line is federal government is focused on affordability and lowering emissions, and that's across all sectors and businesses. So, uh, for example, part of um, uh, the, the pollution uh, pricing is an additional amount that's going to help farming industry, for example, and fishery to, to offset their costs. And, and incentives are there across all sectors, but I think what I really want people to understand is the money that's going to go directly into bank accounts is intended to help families with affordability. Um, because, you know, every industry, every person has to really look to what it is as individual and as collective, collectively what we can do to lower emissions. We have 2030 timelines that we need to meet, and we have 2050 where we need to be lower emissions. And I, I, you know, I, I don't want to raise fears. I think enough of that's happened. What we need to, to, to understand is people will receive cash. The money that they paid in, they will receive that back in the middle of July. Is that that amount of cash, like for example, the initiatives you announced today, um, will not help renters. They do not own their property. They can't make a decision to, you know, make those changes. Is there anything that you will do to incentivize landlords to make it easier for renters? Because that that amount of money is not going to help renters who are typically lower income pay the extra costs of home heat and an oil. Building. And I agree with you, and I know it's conversations that I've been having in Ottawa. Housing is really important to me, and I certainly um, know the reality of trying to find accommodations on a, on a fixed income or on very low amounts, of restricted amounts of money. And I've also seen through the years what happens with rent top-ups, and often it goes to the landlord, and it doesn't benefit the person who's really struggling for housing accommodation. So, you know, at a federal level, I can tell you these conversations are happening. We need to be really mindful about how we roll it out so indeed the benefit goes to the renter and doesn't become um, something that that you know benefits the landlord so know that that I absolutely understand the concern and it's one that I take seriously what sort of what sort of ideas are being floated to, to help those renters I mean, I certainly don't want to say at this point, but as the programs uh, become developed, we certainly will share it. But but know that it is something that we're very well aware of, and it, and it's come forward, it's come forward in all of our ridings. But I particularly see it in St. John's East. I, I was just going to add that you know it, this is open to to anyone to apply for, and I, I get your concern. Obviously, landlords, we want to work with them to try to find solutions to problems that they have as well. That savings is going to have to be passed on to the people that they uh, service as well. I mean that. As, as rents increase based on a lot of reasons, oil being one of them, if they transition their home, that's one less barrier that they have to increase the rent for those individuals that are that need that accommodation. So we're going to continue to work with them. I know our department is. I know the federal government is on, on every scale with us on this. So we're going to continue to work with them. They're available to uh, avail these programs now. Mr. Davis, you said this program could take about 10,000 homes in Newfoundland and Labrador that are currently on oil. 
off oil, what about the remaining three quarters? Will there be future programs to transition them? I can't prejudge what budgets will do in the future, but what I can say is that we're our government is committed to, and I know both levels of government are committed to, transitioning people off. There's only so much uh, time people can transition uh, these products away, or oil to electric. We want all mall done, so you know, over that time frame, it's going to take some time to do that. That's that's part of what our conversation had been with uh, uh, um, Environment and Climate Change Canada on a regular basis is about the time frame that it takes for us to transition. It, you need employees to do the work. The inf infrastructure got to be put in place. People got to make that decision. It takes time, and some of those things and costs, of course. So that's why this program is put in place to remove any of those barriers that uh, low-income individuals or moderate-income individuals would have to say. Well, I don't have that money to put up front. Well, that's one barrier gone. We've got it for you. And that is um, our provincial environment minister, Bernie Davis. Uh, before him, of course, um, MP Joanne Thompson, St. John's MP Joanne Thompson. They're both taking questions from reporters this morning up at the Fluvarium in Pippi Park here in St. John's. And, of course, the government announced uh, this morning with the federal government putting about $160 million uh, out there to... Uh, Try to convince as an incentive to get more people to switch, get off oil and get on to electric heating over the next four years. Um, a news release from the government kind of broke it down a little bit. Uh, you know, they say basically a household that consumes about 2,400 liters of fuel per year. They say, well, that's about $3,200 in heating costs per year. And they say that household that consumes that much would save about 60% on those costs, say, with the heat pump. And uh, again, though, it's an upfront cost that you have to put out there, and that always seems to be the issue, you know, um, especially for moderate or low-income homes that are thinking about this. Uh, the upfront cost can be a disincentive um, for some. But in any event, uh, an estimated 40,000 households are eligible for the program in the province, and will uh, remains to be seen what the uptake will be. I know the province and the federal government, that's the push, uh, whether it's increasing taxes on fuel, uh, such as we see that's coming on Saturday, I believe it's only two days away, um, at the pumps and on your electric and on your um, oil bill and everywhere else. So um, a few hits coming that we're all going to have to absorb one way or the other. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. We're going to take a short break, come back with Richard Duggan, tell us all about the big bust and the news conference out in Harbor Grace today. This is News Talk. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And it's Brian Callahan back uh, in the last uh, home stretch for today's uh, edition of News Talk in Fort Linda Swain. Uh, before we get back to uh, throw you to Richard Duggan, Claudette, you got a traffic note there. I do, and I uh, want to thank Carrie for passing that along to us. Uh, we have an accident reported at the intersection of Kyle Avenue and Sagona at Donovan's Industrial Park, and it is tying up traffic, and that's for motors who are heading from Mount Pearl to Donovan's Irving. A busy little spot at 445 in bet. the afternoon, no matter what day. Uh, maybe on Sunday now, but in any event, uh, watch out for that there by Sagona and Kyle. And uh, back here on News Talk, and uh, today the RCMP held a news conference out in Harbor Grace to announce um, another large haul, another cache of uh, illegal weapons that have been seized and charges laid. Our own Richard Duggan took the drive out to uh, Harbor Grace today, kind of envious about that, I have to say. Mm. Uh, but in any event, uh, unfortunately, uh, not a good story, but a uh, 
important for the police and the work that they're doing. Richard, tell me a little bit about what happened uh, today. Absolutely, Brian. Uh, so this was um, a bust of a synthetic firearm manufacturing and trafficking operation in Harbor Grace. And there was, when we walked into the detachment, I mean, they had about two or three tables just lined with what was confiscated. Uh, there were uh, regular handguns, 3D printed handguns in various states Still of blows completion. My mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, there was uh, body armor, a fake security yeah. outfit. Um, these long guns uh, is what they're called. There's uh, brass knuckles, which we to- were told were homemade brass knuckles. Um, <laughs> they're even making homemade brass knuckles now. Yep. So j- just a whole host of. Uh, of, of weapons um, and uh, so now there are two people that have been charged in connection with this 49 uh, year old John Byrne and 41 year old Crystal Chislett of Harbor Grace have both been charged for their alleged involvement mm-hmm. in this um, and the RCMP actually were tipped off from this uh, by um, uh, a package that was intercepted uh, of gun parts that had been ordered from a company in the United States. And this is, it, it gets kind of tangly in, in that regard because they told us that, that doing that isn't necessarily illegal. Mm. It's when you take those parts and put them together where it can become illegal. So it's a little bit of a tangly yeah, gray interesting area. interesting how right? they get the warrants to do that. If it's not necessarily illegal to ship those parts, you know, they got a. There's a whole other level of surveillance and and investigation that they have to do to be able to get a warrant that says, okay, now we can put those literally put it together. Yep. And so uh, I asked that question actually at at the news conference. So what made this package, yeah. in particular, get flagged? He said that that wasn't really a question that they could um, answer. That would be better addressed to another uh, organization. Um, but uh, yeah, and. One of the interest, there are a couple of interesting things, Brian, and uh, we, I, I put in this big long report that uh, mm. you can see at vocm.com as well. Along with pictures, a lot of pictures, yeah, a lot of pictures there um, of what was seized. Um, but uh, there was so much information with this; it was hard to pack it all into one. So there's a couple of points that I wanted to just bring up. Sure. Um, the RCMP told us that uh, this seizure is the first time that the RCMP in Newfoundland and Labrador have uh, made a seizure of privately made firearms. First time they've ever had to do that. The only other time, it's the second ever for the province as a whole. The only other time was just a few months ago when the RNC made a seizure in the metro region. Um, the other thing that they that they mentioned today was uh, with these hang with these three D printed handguns. Um, in a lot of ways, these could be more dangerous than the original, like your standard handguns and not, not in the way, you know, obviously a, a, you know, any handgun is dangerous, but they said it's because of the fact that it's 3d printed, essentially it's shoddy manufacturing. So they said that it could, it it poses even more of a threat to the person firing it, uh, for example. And of course the person potentially that would be fired at. So, uh, lots of dangers here outside of the obvious with this. Um, and, uh, all that was outlined at, uh, that news conference today that I know that we're going to have some audio from. I guess it could throw off your aim. Hey, not to make light, but, uh, amongst other things that could happen when you're firing a gun. Richard Duggan, thanks so much. I know you got a ton of work to put all that together. Thank you for dropping in. You did bring audio. Um, we're going to, uh, we do have Staff Sergeant Ken Marr. He's the District Commander for Trinity Conception RCB. And he took all you guys uh, through um, how they came to um, initiate and carry out this investigation.
One of the things that the province mentioned yesterday, though, was that this, uh, these new... Sorry about that. I Today I'll share with you the details of an investigation involving a manufacturing and trafficking operation of a large quantity of synthetic, privately made firearms that was taking place at a home here in Harbour Grace. This investigation initially commenced on May 30th when the RCMP was notified by the Canada Border Services Agency that a package was intercepted which contained firearm parts and was destined for residents here in Harbour Grace. Over the next several weeks, our officers worked diligently to gather evidence in support of a warrant to search a residence on La Merchant Road here in Harbour Grace. On June 26th, a warrant to search that home was authorized under the criminal code, and later that day, our, uh, officers from the RCMP here in Harbour Grace, the Bayer Arbors Detachment, as well as the Holyrood Detachment, with the assistance of the Emergency Response Team and the National Weapons Enforcement Support Team, attended a home and executed that warrant. While in the area, the main target, 49-year-old John Byrne, who is subject of a lifetime firearm prohibition, was observed operating an all-terrain vehicle on the roadway. The initial attempt to intercept Mr. Byrne on the, that ATV resulted in him fleeing from police. However, a short while later, he was uh, arrested on a nearby street without incident. A second individual, 41-year-old Crystal Chislett, was also arrested and taken into custody at the location. Inside the home, subsequent to the search warrant, the following items were seized. A total of 16 long guns, some of which were unsafely stored. A total of 33 handguns, one of which has been determined to be a prohibited firearm, one of which has been confirmed to be a restricted firearm and was actually found loaded and unsecured in the residence. And a total of 27 3D printed firearms in various stages of completion. And as you'll see the, uh, on the exhibit table here today, one of those 3D printed firearms is believed to be 100% complete and capable of firing. Additionally, a large quantity of 3D printed firearm magazines, a large quantity of 3D printed firearm parts, a 3D printer, and a large quantity of ammunition of various calibers was seized. Ten prohibited weapons including knives and brass knuckles, and a security uniform which also included a body armor vest. As you can appreciate, a seizure of this magnitude and kind involving synthetically made firearms is certainly unique to the community of Harbour Grace and to our province, with this being the first of its kind for the RCMP in Newfoundland and Labrador, and only the second in the province, the first being in recent months in the metro region. Developments in technology continue to change the types of crimes and prevent, or pre present new avenues for criminals to exploit and explore. The manufacturing of privately made firearms is presenting itself as an, an emerging crime across our country, as we've seen in a recent nationwide operation, Project Reproduction, which involved multiple agencies cracking down on the manufacturing and trafficking of privately made firearms. Evidence gathered up to this point in the investigation suggests that these firearms were intended for sale, which is of concern to the RCMP, as you can appreciate. Firearms of this sort are untraceable and pose a risk to the general public and the user due to their poor manufacturing quality. The two individuals arrested, John Byrne and Crystal Chislett, both appeared in court here in Harbour Grace on June 27th and again on June 28th, and they will appear next on Friday, June 30th. Both of these individuals are charged with the following offences. Unauthorized possession of firearm, three counts. Unsafe storage of firearm, two counts. Unauthorized possession of firearm with ammunition readily accessible. 
possession of a firearm obtained by the commission of an offense, manufacturing a firearm, and possession of a firearm for the purposes of transferring or trafficking. Additionally, John Byrne is charged with the following offenses. Flight from police, possession of firearms while prohibited, and unauthorized possession of a firearm knowing that its possession is unauthorized. This investigation is continuing with additional charges anticipated. The RCMP's highest priority is to safeguard the residents, families, and communities of Newfoundland and Labrador. Anyone with information on any illegal activity such as these is strongly encouraged to contact their local police. And that once again is Staff Sergeant Ken Marr with the RCMP, of course, District Commander for Trinity Conception Area. And, of course, uh, laying out the latest, um, the second, as he noted, in this province, large bust involving illegal, not just illegal, but really the the headline here, the 3D printed weapons that are uh, literally manufacturing guns in a a home, Um, ordering some of them by mail. But, of course, you know, as uh, Richard Duggan noted and the RCMP noted, that's not necessarily illegal. It's what you do with it when you get it. And, um, you know, he also, of course, we also referenced... Uh, the last year's bust, which was actually in April of last year, when um, 42-year-old Scott Waterman was charged with 141 charges last year by the RNC, and that was the first of its kind in the province at all of any law enforcement, the, the, uh, a seizure of manufactured 3D printers, illegal restricted weapons, you name it. And uh, that haul last year led to 141 charges, as I said. Now, Mr. Waterman has since pleaded guilty um, in that case, and I believe he's set for sentencing in September. So that's the sentencing phase, but uh, he's, re- he's free on conditions. But if you want to look it up, um, our former story last year on that and the number of um, just scary weapons uh, that are uh, circulating around the province and um, presenting all kinds of new and risk challenges for the, R- for the RCMP, for the RNC, and, of course, for the public. Um, I know the people in Harbor Grace, uh, you know, uh, would uh, eyebrows raise when this kind of a bust uh, took place earlier this week. It was quite a high profile bust on the streets there in Harbor Grace. So we'll be following that. Uh, the accused in this case will be back in court um, tomorrow and we'll be following that case as well. So that just brings us to the end of another news talk here on uh, VOCM. Um, Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain this week. I understand Linda will be back next week. I want to thank Claudette. Behind the glass, thanks Richard Duggan for showing up as well and dropping in and helping me with some details on that bus today. Uh, One more to go for tomorrow afternoon. I'll be back here on News Talk. Drive safely. Arrive alive. VOCM cares.